Thank you. If you have a Bible, and you'll need it, obviously today you'll need a Bible, you do every Sunday, but if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, there's not going to be scripture on the screen, so you'll want to follow along because we'll be talking about each part of it uh, as we go along. Uh, Luke in chapter 2, I mean, we sing Silent Night, and kind of what's, what's the point, uh, you'll see very shortly. Today, uh, we're going to talk about holiness. In Simeon's song, these past weeks of Advent, Steve's talked about hope on the first Sunday, and heartbreak, uh, then help. On Christmas Eve, we talked about the healing that Jesus brings. Today, we want to look a little bit at the holiness aspect of our lives and of what Jesus brings, but from a little bit different aspect, perhaps. Holiness in Simeon's song. What do they have to do with each other? And after all, this is the day after Christmas. And my guess is your mind is probably far from Simeon. Uh, maybe far from holiness. It's just like our minds and our plate, brains have been in such different places the last few days. And my guess is we're still in the midst of meeting with family and having great times and so forth. But I'd like us to take a look at this, uh, this whole idea. Who is Simeon? We want to look at Luke chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 22 uh, through 32. We'll uh, be looking at, at this part. Uh, a little bit of context. Uh, eight days after, in fact, if, if we look uh, at verse 21, it says eight days uh, later, this is after the birth of Jesus, uh, when the baby was circumcised and he was named Jesus. Uh, according to the law, that sort of thing happens, and he was given the name by the angel that Mary should call him Jesus. In the Jewish law, eight days after a baby was born, was when the baby was given their name. The little boys were circumcised on the eighth day. And that's what happened here. And then we'll pick up, so that's the context. So Mary and Joseph, the baby was born in Bethlehem, Jesus was. They went to Jerusalem to the temple, and he was named there. Okay, and then we pick that up in verse 22. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses. One of the things we'll see in this passage is that again and again it comes back to the law of Moses. What Jesus did and what Mary and Joseph did was always in accordance with, with what God had told before. Okay, so it was time for the purification offering. Now what is the purification offering? Forty days after a baby was born, then the family went to the temple again for a purification offering. The mother of the child was immersed and washed in water. And then the baby was dedicated or given to the Lord, especially if it was a boy. You remember the Old Testament story of Samuel and Hannah, his mother, and she was barren for years. Then God blessed her. She had a son, Samuel. And what did she do? She took him to the temple. She presented him to Levi, her firstborn son, and he served in the temple with Levi the rest of his days. And Samuel was one of the great, great prophets of the Old Testament. He was set aside. And so we hear that in verse 22, when it's time for their purification, Mary and Joseph, as required by the law, in the birth of Jesus, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, and here we go back again, reminding that all this is happening is in accordance with the Old Testament. If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. 
And we may read that somewhat, okay, so it's a word, woman's first child. There's significance. If the first child is a boy, that boy is dedicated to the Lord. And in the dedication, the emphasis is placed on the biological link between the mother and the son. For, for other children and at other times, and there could be emphasis between the father and the son, and then, and that's the case that so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and was the son of so-and-so throughout Scripture, that's for the legal uh, aspect and the social aspect. I am my father's son, Peterson, the son of his father and so forth. But in this case, they make a point that the first child is a boy, the, link, the preference or the emphasis then is on the connection with the mother biologically, not with the father. Isn't that interesting? Joseph was not Jesus' father. He was his earthly father. But God was the father of Jesus. And so in this subtle little phrase we see even that, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So he offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord. And there we have it again, by the law of the Lord. Now what did they offer? What does it say? Either a pair of two a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Those were the sacrifices that were offered by poorer people. Had Mary and Joseph had, had more wealth, they would have offered a lamb or a goat uh, for the sacrifice. But since they were poor, the law stipulates in the Old Testament that, you, that two doves or two pigeons would do. And so we know that Jesus was not born into a wealthy family uh, at all. And then we go ahead and we look. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Now, this is interesting, and I figured there would be some kids here today. So, Simeon's going to appear here. There was a man, Simeon. He was an old man. <laughs> Even older than me, if you're kidding. And he was in the temple. This is a Jewish prayer shop, which they would wear. So Simeon was righteous and devout. What does it mean to be righteous? Are you righteous? Yeah, I'm righteous. I do more good than bad, so I'm righteous. That's not righteous. It's not what the Bible talks about being righteous. Righteous is what? But we are to be righteous. Righteous is as I stand before God my life is not perfect. Righteousness does not mean perfection. Righteousness means my goal, my intent, my direction in my life is to be obedient and to follow the Lord. Righteousness is never based on me, nor my actions, nor what I do, or what I don't do. Scripture is abundantly clear on that. You know the best commentary on the Bible I would recommend? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It interprets itself. Well, so that, that's not the way I read. I don't care how you read it. How does the Bible read it? What does? And that's why you have, let me encourage you, this year, if you don't have a study Bible, get a good study Bible. All those little cross-references are to help us understand what it means. And, and the Lord interprets His Word. And so when we find a definition of righteousness, this isn't what Dan thinks. This is we look in the Scripture. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not something that you produce yourself. So when it says Simeon was righteous, that means in God's sight, he was obedient and with all his effort, he was seeking to follow 
in obedience what the Lord had shown. And it says he was devout. Devout related to what word? Devotion. Again, it, it was that commitment. I will follow the Lord with all my heart. And so we find out a little bit of the character of Simeon. And he was eagerly waiting for the uh, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. Some of your translations may say for the consolation of Israel. Uh, we're looking uh, right now in verse uh, 25. I guess is where we are if you're following along. And I trust you are. Uh, eagerly waiting. So he wasn't just sitting around, I hope it happens, I hope it happens. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, the Messiah was the redeemer of Israel. What's Israel's situation? They're occupied by the Romans. And can you imagine if our country was occupied by, I don't know, Canada, somebody else? Uh, and they were, their, their army, their soldiers were all around all the time. And were longing to be set free. Well, that was Israel. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. As we mentioned on, on Christmas Eve, Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before this time, 200 years before, in our frame of reference, 200 years before Columbus discovered America. It would be that far back. That Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah was coming. But even farther back than that, all the way to 2,000 years, as far before Christ as we are now, God said, through Abraham, I'm going to bring a redeemer. Through you, all nations will be blessed. Even farther back than that, all the way back to Adam and Eve. When we had the problem of sin, God said, I will bring a redeemer. So people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for hundreds, even thousands of years for God to come through. So it says, Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come for the consolation, to console, to rescue, to make things better. Do you wish our society was better than it is? Has this been a great year for our society? Yikes. Has it been a great year for you and for me? Well, for many of us, it's been a very, very, very difficult. We're waiting for the consolation. Then we go ahead to the last part of uh, verse 25. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, on Simeon, and revealed to him, revealed to me, that I would not die until I had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine if that were you? And the Holy Spirit said, Chris, you're going to see the Messiah that people have been waiting for for thousands of years, and you will see him before you die. That kind of, that does something to you, doesn't it? It did to Simeon. And we look in verse 27. That day, the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. This is interesting. He's a righteous, devout man that day when the Holy Spirit says, Simeon, it's time to go to the temple today. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, remember, they're just coming after the 40 days. Right? So this is just part of what they would do normally. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, we get that little phrase again, Simeon was there. Isn't that a coincidence? He just happened. Forty days after this little baby was born down in Bethlehem, his parents bring him to dedicate. And it just happens. It's a coincidence. 
that Simeon happened to be there the very day that they brought Jesus. There is one word that you will not find anywhere in the Bible. What's that word? Coincidence. There ain't it. There ain't no coincidences in your life or in my life. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. So Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Yeah, the babies are also waiting. So 
over there about six pounds. Does the enormity of what happened begin to sink in to us? How could that be? What God did. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. I have seen your salvation. I'm holding your salvation. Which you have prepared before all the people. He, this baby Jesus, is a light to reveal what? God, the <coughs> nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. In verse 32. It's been a hustly bustly time for all of us these last few days. I'd like to do something a little different here again and shift gears for the next four and a half minutes. I'll just tell you how long it is. I want, to I want you to listen. This song of Simeon, which we've just called, it's called the Nuke Dominus. That's Latin for now depart, the first words of the song. What I want to uh, play for us and just listen, and I want you to be looking and thinking of these words. This is from Rachmaninoff's Vespers. It's a music service that he wrote in 1915, two years before the Russian Revolution. It was not heard. After that, what you would guess. This is a setting. It's all in Russian. Naimi Odpushkayeshi. I don't know if anybody here speaks Russian, but if you do, you'll understand it. This is out of the Russian Orthodox tradition. Russian Orthodox did not use instruments at all. Everything was a cappella. The human voice was all that was allowed in worship. They also stand the entire time because they're in the presence of God. So if you go to an Orthodox church, there aren't chairs for the congregation. You'll be standing the whole time uh, because you are in the presence of God. So we'd like you to imagine, put yourself, move out of the time of Sunday morning, December 26, 2010, Go back and simply close your eyes. The words that you will be hearing are in Russian. They're the text. If you want to look at the text, the Song of Simeon, of the verses that we just read, you can do that. But this is Simeon. It's a, a choral is about 120 singers and a soloist who is Simeon. And as it soars, he's singing, my eyes have seen your salvation. Let's just listen together. David?
God wanted us to capture the holiness and the exquisite beauty of that moment. If we look ahead in verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, notice that he said to Mary, and it doesn't say he said to the parents, but to Mary. Kind of reminding. Tradition and history believes that Jesus, that Joseph died. Uh, before the end of Jesus' life. Joseph was around, obviously, at the beginning and through his childhood. Joseph was present when Jesus was 12 at the temple. He talks about his parents. But then we hear no more of Joseph. And even at the end of his life, only Mary is there. So it's quite possible, and people would expect, that sometime during Jesus' teenage years or his time in his 20s, his father died, his earthly father, Joseph, died. But the words were given to Mary. The child in verse, uh, that this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your very soul. It's an interesting. I'm not sure if I was a mother, I'd want to hear that. My son is going to bring great joy and delight to many people. But to other people, he will reveal their heart, what they really want, and it won't be pleasant, and he will be wind up. Your heart will be pierced by grief. That's exactly what happened. You know what is interesting? That the, the, the prophets, Jesus was obviously a very special birth. His life brought clarity to people. Either we are believing in Christ and following Him, or we are going to reject Him and go our own way. Jesus wound up being killed. John the Baptist preached repentance. He confronted the leader with the immorality of his life. He had to choose between repenting with what John had asked for, or rejecting. He rejected. John lost his head. Samuel confronted Eli. Your sons who are priests are living immoral lives and making mockery of what they're doing. Samuel had to confront it again. It seems that these special boys, if you will, do not have a pleasant life in the sense that everything turned out happy. They have a tremendously powerful life. And they help people see the truth of the gospel and who God is and the great love that he has and the call for repentance. That would be the same call uh, that we have here. So what I'd like to do then is uh, just make some general reflections, if we could, as we do this last, I conclude the last part of our time together this morning. Some general observations about this passage. Uh, first of all, the practice that we have of dedicating children comes out of this kind of context, where we dedicate, sometimes we baptize babies, sometimes we dedicate children. Well, this is the dedication, the idea of you're bringing your firstborn uh, to dedicate them to the Lord, or you bring all of your children. Actually, this is just the firstborn. As you know, Jesus 
Joseph and Mary had some more kids after Jesus of their own children. So Jesus had some brothers and some sisters. Actually, there were quite a few of them. There's four or five or six of them besides Jesus. Now, he would be tough to have as an older brother. <laughs> did, he ever get, did he ever have a time out? No. Was he ever in the corner? Probably not. It was never his fault. Uh, so I, I'm not sure how the, how the growing up went. But we do know that Jesus' own brothers did not believe that he was God until after the resurrection. And then one of his brothers, James, wrote one of the books in the New Testament. And another brother, Jude, wrote a book in the New Testament. So they, they did come to believe in him, but our dedication of children comes out of this context. A second uh, observation we might make is the relationship between the Old and the New Covenants. I don't, did you notice anything a little bit unusual about all the illustrations I gave you of uh, uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, for example, they were barren for a long time, and then finally Isaac arrived. Uh, Isaac and uh, Rebekah had trouble conceiving, and eventually uh, Jacob arrived. Jacob and Rachel had trouble conceiving, and eventually Joseph and Benjamin arrived, though Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, and Rachel was buried, surprisingly, in Bethlehem. Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, what does it say about their age? They were old. Abraham and Sarah were 90 and 100 when Isaac was born. Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, way too old to have children. All of the people of the promise were really, really old. And then along comes Mary and Joseph. Mary, who is a teenager, gives birth to Jesus. Do you notice anything interesting there? The old covenant and the new covenant. And how Zach, Simeon and Anna, which you can read about later, a prophetess, a lady who was also in the temple, happened to be there this day. They embraced the new covenant. You have a type of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Testament being drawn together in Simeon's story. It's not a separation. Well, that was the old. It doesn't apply anymore. We're just going to go with the new. No, they're together. It's all part of the same story. It's one of the observations that we can make at that point. Uh, third point, the promised boys came to bring the, uh, God's truth into the world which they lived. We've already talked about it's, they had kind of a story. John had... John the Baptist had kind of a stormy life. Samuel had a kind of a tough life. Uh, he had to confront leadership. Jesus had a really tough life uh, in confronting the religious leaders of the day and the people, but to expose their heart. He does the same to you and to me. When we listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit exposes our heart. It says, Dan, are you trusting me? Are you obedient? Are you trusting your good works? You'll, by the way, then, you'll never be good enough. All of your righteousness is this filthy righteousness. The righteousness that you need is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By embracing him, I credit to you his righteousness. Then I can say, like, to you, we asked before, like, Simeon, are you righteous? Yes. I am righteous. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ whom I have committed my life to. 
A fourth point, and similar quality in all the people's life was what we've been talking about, righteous and devout. They said that Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous. Abraham was righteous. Mary and Joseph were righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. Remember when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he said, well, we can't do this. I'm, I'm, we're going to have to have separation. This is not, not going to work. And then Gabriel, the angel, came and said, Joseph, it's okay. Joseph was a righteous man in God's sight. That's the only sight that counts. And then, uh, fifthly, what about uh, Simeon enabled him to recognize Jesus? What about Simeon? What about his life? And there are a couple things that we'll touch on here and then we'll be done. Uh, he was righteous and devout. Righteous means upright, virtuous, keeping God's commands. Do you keep all of them? No. Do you follow? Is that your intent? Is that your guidance? Are you moving in that direction? Yes. Righteousness. Simeon walked in obedience to the Father. Another way to say is that Simeon lived the Scriptures. Do you live the Scriptures? Do I live the Scriptures? God is as interested in your private life as He is your public life. The Scripture, the Bible, never, ever separates my private life from my public life. Ever. Those are brought together all the time. I'll give you one example. King David. His private life was that he was having an affair with Bathsheba. That's my private life. I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. And Nathan said, not so. You do not have a private life with God. All of your life, you can't separate sacred and secular. That is not a Jewish concept. That is not a biblical concept. How you live your life at every point. Uh, and so, he was righteous and devout. That's why we could say that about Simeon. The second aspect is Simeon knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament and the New. He knew to look for the Messiah. He was says, even eagerly awaiting the Messiah. In the next paragraph, it talks about Anna. And it says she was expectingly waiting for the Messiah. She was an 84-year-old lady who had spent most of her life as a widow. And she went to the temple. Uh, a third aspect, in verses 25 and 26 that we, we talked about before, but the Holy Spirit was upon him. A person like Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit. That is something that God desires for each one of us. That you and I be filled with the Spirit. That we see. Then, the idea of when memory went to the temple, and it just so happened to Mary Joseph went there. What does it say? He was led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. And he was obedient. He could have said, I'm busy, I'm tired, I was there yesterday. Nothing has happened, nothing has happened for the last 10 years. In fact, God, nothing has happened for the last 100 years, 1,000 years. May I remind you, Simeon, you will see the Messiah before you're dead. Oh, I'm pretty old. Maybe God should go and see what happens. And so there is the Holy Spirit was a part of that. something available to every one of us. The Holy Spirit led him to the temple as a result. Five, as a result, Simeon recognized the times for what they really were. This is the challenge, I think, the huge challenge for you and for me. Do we recognize the times for what they are? We have, you know, our, we have national debt that we're concerned about. We have world uh, peace uh, that we're concerned about what's happening in the Orient and Korea and all of these concerns that we have. But a hundred years from now, will it make any difference to you? Probably not. You won't be here. 
Perché ho un'idea. You won't be there. You'll either, you can maybe talk to Simeon. I would like to. That's what's true. That is what is real. And Simeon operated on what was true and on what is real. As a result, he recognized the times. And then finally, he uttered a word of prophecy at the end and, and kind of unsettling to Mary, I, I think. But she said she pondered all these things in her heart. She thought about it. About what's, what's going on here and how this is going to happen. But what they said was the truth. When you and I live in the truth, we're in good state. We're in the right place. So what's our response? A couple of things. Work, watch. Or work, wait, watch. Work. In the meantime... Until the Lord comes, and as long as we're on earth, I don't know how many days we have. Uh, you don't know how many days we have. I used illustrated before, but uh, 38 years ago on November the 2nd, my dad went out to move a grain elevator uh, in the middle of harvest season. Middle of morning. He's in glory. Cable broke. That is. But you know, that morning, when he and Mom sat at the table, I know he did. Every morning, every morning, we'd gather. He'd take out your daily bread. He'd read a little daily bread, the devotional booklet. He'd read a passage of scripture, and we'd pray. We did that. I have no memory of that ever not happening. That was that righteousness. But just and little did we know did he know. But see that's Simeon. I'm prepared. I'm living walking with the Lord. If this were like any other congregation that I've served in, and I've been serving uh, since, in churches since 1977, so whatever you there has never been a year when somebody in the congregation didn't die. Um, my guess is that if we're sitting here next year, some of you will be in glory. Some of you here will. If it's typical. So this, Simeon saw, he read, he understood what was going on. Our response, work, live your life joyously, joyously. Wait, we wait, we eagerly expect the Lord's coming back. He may come back this year, he may come back this afternoon. But they were looking forward, and then to watch. Now, working, waiting, and watching leads to holiness. How do we become holy? Work, wait, walk. That's because the Holy Spirit then works in us, transforming our life. And finally, the Lord will return. One of the, that's one of the promises that we've it, It's like, oh yeah, it seems like it'll never happen. That's what they were saying when they were waiting for the Messiah. Seems like this will never happen. And for many people, it, it didn't in their lifetime. 
change everything. So at the end of your days, can you sing Simeon's song? Lord, let your servant part of peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation Jesus Christ. Would you promise for all people, not only the Jews, but everybody and everyone who is gathered at the Hawaii Community Church on December 26th in the year 2010. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what in a... There aren't words to express what you've done. We thank you for Simeon. We thank you for his life, for his walk, for his all that you were doing in him for his heart. Lord, we thank you also for Sergei Rachmaninoff, who took the text and put it in a place that trans certainly transcends words to express our heart's devotion and our love to you. I pray, Father, that this week, these coming months, these coming years, however long any of us have, <coughs> that we would walk in righteousness and devotion and obedience to you. May we be diligent in your word, that we might know your word, like Simeon did. It wasn't just luck that he happened to know, but he knew your word. Father, may our hearts be desirous not only knowing your word, but in knowing your word, that we might know you better. We'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.